I love that video. I've probably watched it 20 times because it gives a grand narrative survey of Scripture in less than three minutes. Did you catch all that? It was like, here's the Bible in less than three minutes. It started with Genesis chapter 1 with the story of creation where God speaks. He says, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. God creates the heavens and the earth with the spoken word of his mouth, and every time he creates, he says it's good. In fact, when he creates humanity, he says, because we're created in his image, we are very good. But then it moves to Genesis chapter 3, the story of the original sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and how they ate of the forbidden fruit. And when they did so, death came into the world, and all of creation was corrupted, and humanity was corrupted as well. As Murray pointed out earlier, we have a sin problem, and we inherit that from our earliest parents that left our own. We are prone to sin, prone to wander from God. And then it continues to show us the story of Genesis 6 to 9, the story of Noah's ark, And how God in his great frustration with the sin of humanity decides to wipe it all out and start all over again with just Noah and his family. Yes, humanity's sin 
and God's frustration with our sin and God's response to our sin is a major theme that we find throughout the Old Testament. From the story of Noah, we go to the story of Father Abraham, the father of our faith, and his son Isaac, born at a late, year, late years in his life. And you'll remember the story, as a great act of faith, Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, but God provides the ram so that he doesn't have to. We read that story in Genesis chapter 22. Then in Genesis chapter 37, we have the story of Joseph and the amazing technicolored coat. If you haven't read it, maybe you saw the musical. It's really good. And the story goes that Joseph was one of the younger sons of Jacob, who's better known as Israel. And he gives this beautiful coat to his son Joseph, and it makes all his brothers jealous. So they sell Joseph into slavery. And Joseph's being sold into slavery ultimately leads him to the land of Egypt where the people of Israel eventually must go in order to survive a famine. And then what happens while they're in Egypt? They become slaves. And then as the video depicted from Exodus 3 to Exodus 20, we have the story of the Exodus, how God calls Moses at the age of 80. Are there any 80 years old here today? Anyone 80 years old? A few of you. Yes, God may call you. You never know. If you're not dead, God's not done with you yet, right? Yes, God calls Moses at the age of 80 to go and lead the people out of slavery back into the promised land that he had promised Abraham so many years ago. As Pharaoh's army follows Moses and the Israelites, God does the miraculous. He parts the Red Sea. Maybe you saw the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. You remember that story, right? And they go through the dry land, and then Pharaoh's army tries to follow, but they get stuck in the mud, and the water comes crashing down. And Pharaoh's army, the most powerful army at the time in the world, is destroyed. God has delivered his people. And on the other side, God gives Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And of course, these commandments are not always easy to obey for the Israelites or for me and you today, are they? Yes, the fallenness of humanity continues to be a theme throughout the Old Testament as we sin and God has to adjust and continue to deliver us. And so the people of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years, you may remember, but then eventually Joshua is lifted up as the new leader and he goes to Jericho, the city that's fortified that no one thought anyone could ever conquer, and God instructs him to go around the walls of the city of Jericho. You read the story in Joshua chapter 6, and they blow the trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. And the people of Israel are victorious, and they take over the promised land. From that story, it fast forwards to the story of a young shepherd boy named David, who is able to defeat Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He destroys him with just a stone from his slingshot. Goliath is defeated, and eventually David becomes king. And he's told in 2 Samuel 7 that one day he'll, there'll be an, a descendant from him who will eventually take the throne and of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is a prophecy of Jesus. For if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you'll see that well, he's a descendant of David, of David, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Noah, a descendant of Adam. He's a part of this great story of salvation that God brings. But it's centuries and centuries before Jesus is born as a descendant of David. Then the movie goes on and it continues to show you how God has to lift up prophets like the prophet Daniel because the people of Israel have been, they've been rebellious again. And so God puts his word in the mouths of prophets like Daniel and he rescues Daniel from the lion's den. You read the story in Daniel chapter 6. It's a great story. And then we have the story of Jonah and how Jonah was the reluctant prophet. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he didn't want to go to the capital city of his enemies to preach 
the message there, but God insisted, and he tried to run from God, but what happens is he goes to Tarshish, there's a big storm, and he's thrown overboard, and a big fish swallows him, and Jonah repents, and he's thrown out, vomited out onto the land, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches. Yes, God was bringing his word through prophets like Daniel, and Jonah, and Isaiah, Isaiah that Murray read from just a moment ago. Did you know that Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was ever born? Yet we're told that for unto us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And out of his kingdom there will be no end. But it's 700 years before Jesus comes after Isaiah's prophecy. Then the video fast forwards to the beautiful story of the Virgin Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel that we read in Luke chapter 1. And she is told that even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to a, a child, a boy, and, and he will be uh, reign on the throne of his, of his father David's throne forever, and he'll be a king and a great king. And, and the Virgin Mary is overwhelmed by this news, but she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And so she becomes pregnant through a work of the Holy Spirit. And then we move to the story that we find in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is born in Bethlehem, a prophecy of Micah, who lived 600 years before Jesus' birth, who is, we read in Micah chapter 5 that Bethlehem will be the birthplace of the Savior. Yes, the people of Israel had been waiting for a very, very long time. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. They've been waiting centuries for you, Jesus, the Savior. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. We and all of humanity have been waiting since the sin of our first parents for you to come and save us. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, for we need your presence here today in the midst of the darkness of this fallen world. As we turn to God's word, may we ask Jesus once again to lead us by his Holy Spirit so that we might hear this familiar story afresh and anew this evening. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, inspired Luke to gather an orderly account, to interview all kinds of people, including Mary herself, so that we might have an accurate account of the birth of Jesus. God, I pray that as you read this familiar story on this Christmas Eve, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It may be found on page 1090 of your Red Pew Bible. I would encourage you to take out that t Red Pew Bible if you can. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Listen to God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Looking again at verse 8 of our text. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I'm pretty sure that night, the last thing that the shepherds, the night shift shepherds thought that they were going to see outside of Bethlehem was an angel of the Lord. They were probably keeping their eyes open for predators like wolves or maybe even mountain lions or perhaps even bears. And ironically, Shepherds in the first century in the Middle East were known to be quite brave because they would fight off mountain lions and bears in order to protect their sheep. Yet when these shepherds encounter, they encounter the angel of the Lord, we are told that, well, that they had great fear. The Greek here is phobion megan, phobion megan. We get the English word phobia, fear, from phobon, phobon megan. Phobon, like someone is arachnophobic, that means they're afraid of spiders. Anybody out there afraid of spiders? Arachnophobic. And then Megan, of course, mega, right? They had mega fear. Or they were terrified, as the NIV says. They were filled with t- fear. They were, they were paralyzed by fear. It was overwhelming to see this angel of the Lord. These brave men were fearful, terrified. And that's a common response to angels as you look at the New Testament. After all, the first thing that the angel Gabriel has to tell Zechariah, the priest, when he's in the temple in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, is do not be afraid. He could tell that Zechariah, the priest, even though he was a holy man, encounters the angel and he is filled with fear. He says the same thing the angel Gabriel does to Mary. He says, do not be afraid for I bring you good news. Don't be afraid. Yes, it's common for people in the New Testament to be filled with fear Because angels are very intimidating beings. No one expects to see an angel, do they? 
reminds me of the story. There was two friends, Bob and Bill. They were the best of friends. They were baseball buddies. They grew up playing Little League baseball together in elementary school. They played Pony League in middle school. They even played in high school together. And when their playing days were over, they made the commitment that they were going to go visit every Major League Baseball park in the United States. And so they traveled around the country together, watching games, cheering them on, talking about baseball. And when they went to Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California, they had a discussion about whether or not there might be baseball in heaven. And they made a pact with each other that whoever dies first is going to make every effort to come back and somehow communicate to the one who's still alive that whether or not there is, in fact, baseball in heaven. Well, sure enough, Bob, who's kind of a heavy drinker, didn't always eat the best, he passed away of a heart attack first. And so one night as Bill was getting ready to go to bed, boom, here Bob appears. He's got wings and everything. And Bill is filled with fear. And Bob says, fear not, Bill, for I bring you great news of good joy. There is baseball in heaven. In fact, I've got some good news for you and some bad news. The good news is, yes, there's baseball in heaven. But the bad news is, well, you're scheduled to pitch tomorrow night. Of course, that's just a joke. We don't become angels when we die. We know from the scriptures that those who believe in Jesus go to be with Jesus in paradise. But angels are unique beings. They are messengers from God sent by God with a specific message for a specific person. And have you ever wondered, as many times as we have read this story, have you ever wondered, why did the angel of the Lord go to these shepherds of all people? I mean, they're not part of the religious elite of Jerusalem. You would have thought an angel of the Lord would go to the temple in Jerusalem, to maybe the high priest to announce the birth of the Savior, the the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. But that's not where the angel of the Lord goes. The angel of the Lord goes to some night shift shepherds outside of Bethlehem who probably stunk, who had a hard time staying awake. I mean, these are poor men. Why did the angel of the Lord go to these shepherds of all people? What do we know about these shepherds exactly? We don't know their names, but we do know that they don't have a lot of money. Because if they had a lot of money, they would have had a sheep pen. Wealthy shepherds kept their sheep in the sheep pen. And really wealthy shepherds, well, they hired other people to watch their sheep at night. These shepherds, they're just struggling, struggling to get by, doing the best they can probably humbled by life's circumstances, which is a great prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven, is it not? Humility. You may remember that when we went through the Sermon on the Mount this last fall, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with this powerful line. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope and you've got nothing left to give and you know you need God's help. That's when you're blessed. That's when you're ready for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say in the third beatitude in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm sorry, that's not what he says. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, those who are broken by life's circumstances. These shepherds, they weren't wealthy, they weren't prominent, they were humble, poor, struggling men. And of course, these aren't the first shepherds that God has spoken to, are they? No, we know that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Moses, David, and they were all shepherds. And one thing shepherds do a lot of is they spend a lot of time out in the midst of God's beautiful creation. When was the last time you spent some time in the midst of God's beautiful creation? You know, I, uh, for me personally, one of the best ways I can connect with God is by connecting with the Lord out in the midst of, whether it be Palador Canyon on a hike or the mountains of New Mexico or the mountains of Colorado. I love going on hikes, and as I get surrounded by God's creation, I'm overwhelmed by God's beauty and God's power to create, and I am humbled by how small I am in comparison to His creation. I remember this past August, I was in Fort Davis, uh, Texas. Uh, it's in West Texas. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's very far from the city lights. And you can look up. In fact, there's a McDonald Observatory there because the, the night sky is so clear. And you're able to see millions and millions and millions of stars with just the naked eye. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I felt so, so small in the midst of God's creation. I was humbled by God's creation. Yes, shepherds spend a lot of time in the midst of God's creation, observing and recognizing how great our God is. And these shepherds didn't have a lot of money. They were working hard. Yes, they were humble, and they were worshipful. Now, how do I know they were worshipful? Well, obviously, they worship God after encountering this angel and seeing that, in fact, what they were told was true, that there is a a baby boy who's been born uh, in the town of David in Bethlehem. But I also know that they're worshipful because, as most scholars point out, most likely these shepherds outside of Bethlehem, well, they're herding sheep that might be used for Passover that year. You see, Bethlehem is... uh, only about six miles away from Jerusalem. And every year, people, Jews from all over the world would travel miles and miles and miles to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And it's estimated that in the first century, as many as 30,000 sheep, lambs, would be sacrificed as a part of that Passover celebration. And so they needed shepherds near Jerusalem to raise lots and lots and lots of sheep. So the reason I think that the angel of the Lord came to these shepherds specifically is because they were humble and they were worshipful. And it's no coincidence that these shepherds who are preparing the lamb for the Passover feast are the ones that the angel would visit to tell them about this baby boy that we all know would one day grow up to be a man. And when John the Baptist would see Jesus walking, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Yes, Jesus, born in a lowly manger, he grows up among us and he teaches us and he heals us and he lives in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father so that when he dies on the cross, he dies as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins together so that we no longer have to offer blemished and imperfect animal sacrifices. No, Christ was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf and proving to be who he said he was, the Son of God, the Good Shepherd, the Great I Am, the Savior of the world. Amen? My friends, that's good news worth sharing. Notice again what the angel says to these shepherds in verse 10 and 11 of our text. And the angel said to them, Fear not, before, before behold, I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In the Greek there, the term, I bring you good news, is eoglitso. It's the same term that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, where he says, for if I preach eoglitso, if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach eoglitso, the gospel. This angel has come to Eglitzo to preach the good news, the good news of, of God's love, a love that despite our sin, God doesn't abandon us. No, God becomes one of us, and he gives us his son as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins, and he gives us his son so that we might be reconciled to God once and for all, so that we might have the assurance of eternal life and the gift of a new life if we will simply follow him. And walk in the light of his great love. For as Jesus says in John 3, 16, please read these words with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. Eoglitzo. And my friends, that's good news worth sharing this Christmas season. Look around this sanctuary. While it feels full, there are people that you know who aren't here who should be. Who will you share that gospel with in the next year? How might you share that gospel both in word and deed? May we live a life that points others to the great love that our God has for each one of us. May we seek to live out the most important commandments according to Jesus, which is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Then we will reflect the light of his love. And as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. Yes, my friends, we have good news worth sharing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, May we be bold in sharing that news with others through both word and deed. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't abandon us in our sin, but you love us enough to become one of us. For in Jesus Christ, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't just speak to the religious elite or to the, just to the who's who, but you speak to lowly, humble shepherds who are meek, mild, hardworking, humble, and worshipful. Lord, may that be true of us as well. For we are humbled by your love, and we know the only appropriate response to your love is to worship you and to share that love with others, to share that good news with others, just as the shepherds told the good news to Mary and Joseph, and then they went home worshiping and praising you for all that you had done and shown them. Oh, Lord, help us to be as bold in our sharing each and every day. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.